You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, Earth Station One listeners, and welcome to another episode. We are back, and we are here to talk about the dynamic duel of Wallace and Gromit. I bet you were thinking I was going to say Batman and Robin. No, Wallace and Gromit are so much more interesting. They even come with cheese and toast, which is even better. And, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. And we got a great crew to chat all about it. And, you know, the man who loves some cheese and loves some toast and is an inventor at heart is my co-host for tonight. Let's, of course, welcome Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy! How More are cheese, you, sir? Mike, more cheese! Cheese, everybody! I'm so exciting. Say cheese! Exactly. You know, I always wanted to be able to get out of bed like he does, though. You know, down <laughs> a ramp. That's a that's a rough start to the day. Well, it's make sure you're awake, and you know, it's a gr- only way I could you could ever see me putting on a green sweater vest. So it's okay. I tell you what, though, it's just weird to think that those sleeves—the only thing holding them in is the, it's the sweater vest. It's like I don't know how that works, but it's weird. It is, but you know what? It's animation. It's it, and everything. We works. love it. We love every second of it, and it's going to be a ton of fun to talk about tonight. And we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Hear what you guys thought on it. Please write us feedback at ourstation1.com. Let us know how you guys been. You know, have you seen? All the four shorts. Have you seen Curse of the Were-Rabbit? You know, we definitely would love to hear, you know, your thoughts on these. Please definitely write us. We It's it's a fun topic, and I think we're going to have a bunch of fun to talk about it. We also have our friend of the show, Mark Holmes, is going to be joining us finally in the geek seat. So I'll be t- chatting with him in a little bit, and it's going to be, you know, interesting to find out how he got into writing. And he's, I didn't even know he was a filmmaker. So, you know, it's pretty awesome to the things you find out about people when they sit in the geek seat. The pressure's on them, as you like to say. So we definitely would love to hear from you guys, as we like to say. If you're listening, thank you, thank you. As always, we appreciate you guys more than you could ever imagine. And if this is your first time listening to us because of the topic or somebody told you about us, thank you. We appreciate it. And, you know, if you do enjoy the show, please remember to rate us five stars wherever you listen to this fine podcast. We're up on all the media players up there, including Amazon, Apple, blah, 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 all the others. You name it, we're up there. And, you know, just if you can, give us a rating. Uh, Please leave a review. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. Also, let's say howdy real quick to our patrons. They have a brand new episode of ESO BS coming their way this week. And you know what? I think they're going to be full of it when they have Dr. Scott, myself, Mary Ogle, and Kevin Eldridge talking about all things summertime and getting ready for, you know, what's going on in the world and, you know, how to how they're adapting to it. It's a lot of fun, and it's available exclusively only to... ESO Patreons, and that's at all levels, and for as little as a dollar a month, you too could become an ESO Network Patreon. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. 
And before we forget, let's say a big howdy to our friends over at Tifosi Optical. Tifosi Optical is in deep with summertime. It's sunglass time, folks. Feel bad for our folks out on the West Coast. Please stay safe. But you know what? The heat's so bad out there, you got to wear sunglasses to be able to see outside. People in Seattle are not used to the sun being out like this and the heat, you know, but you know what? Get some sunglasses. Be able to protect yourselves at least from the evil sun. And you know what? You could pick your own colors. You could pick your own color of lenses. It's pretty cool what you can do. And you could also get gamer glasses and blue light blocking glasses and, you know, sports activity glasses and, of course, face shields. You know, whatever you need. Tifosi Optics has it for your vision. And if you need to, they even have prescription glasses that, you know, could actually help you with your seeing and looking cool at the same time. All you have to do is go to TifosiOptics.com. And when the coupon code is a way of saying thank you, put in Earth Station 1 and you get 10% off your whole order. Not just one pair of glasses, your whole order. That's TifosiOptics.com. Check them out, folks. And now, finally, we are having on the main segment for the guest a friend of the show, a filmmaker, a writer, a man about town. Let us welcome Mr. Mark Holmes to the show. I'll grab a mic, Gordon, and say howdy. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right now we're sans Mike Gordon. So, you know, you could fill in for him right now. You just have to say howdy every no couple minutes. You'll be fine. There's no man can fill in for Mike Gordon. Oh, I've been saying that for years and everything. So it is, you've been dying to be in this segment for, I think I've, we've known you probably almost 10 years now. And yeah, it's been quite some time and I'm actually shocked you've held out this long by not, you know, being in the interview segment. So we've had you on for main segments, for like little clips and such. And you've been great for Earth Station One since the very beginning, since we met. And this is your chance to shine, dude. I want to find out about you because I, I knew about you, I think, from Femforce before right. even right. before we even I met. Think, I actually think it was Bobby Nash brought us together. Yeah, I think it was Bobby. He yeah. he did that quite a bit yeah. and uh, for a while. And, you know, a lot of the folks, like the writers and the artists and stuff, Bobby was great at networking. And mm-hmm. he brought a lot of you guys to our attention. And when he mentioned your name, it, it, it's like, it's like Femforce Mark Holmes. And it's like, and he's like, yeah, do you want to talk to him? And it's like, yeah, because I've been reading, you know, Femforce for years before I even did the podcast and stuff. Okay. It's been around for years. Yeah. 1985 was the first issue. Wow. Cause I know we used to sell it when I had my comic shop in Baltimore and I, you know, I know we had it on the shelves mm-hmm. and so, you know, it was, it's, it's neat. How did, how long have you been in the comic industry and what, what got you into it? Well, let, let's go back, of course. I'm like everybody else. I was a lifelong comic book reader. I was a Marvel guy in the 70s. And in the early 80s, when I got my license, I discovered the uh, comic shop, which had just started to really boom in the early 80s. Sure. And it seemed like you could go and knock one over, you know, drive a mile and hit a comic book store. So I was, I was in my local one, the one that I frequented, and on the shelf, was uh, Femme Force number seven, which had three of the gals in Western garb. And that just popped right off the rack into my hands because it had uh, superheroines and Westerns combined into one comic. 
and I took it home and I read it. And the next day I went back to my comic shop with a fistful of cash. And I said, I'll buy everything that AC is producing. Oh, and wow. I went through his racks. And I, I emptied his store of AC products. And then I had a car and I started doing a spiral. And I hit every comic shop in the tri-state area. And I bought every issue I could get my hands on. I, that's how floored I was with AC Comics. Oh, wow. So you had hit New Jersey, Delaware, and Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Because I know you live right outside of uh, Philadelphia and Willingboro. Very is... close to, yeah, very close to Philadelphia. Yeah, so yeah, you're right across the river. So, so you know, was, the, uh, the only reason I know that area, my mom was from that area. So it's just so like... it, it was good hunting back then. And, oh, I'm sure. Uh, this this would have been 1987. I got married in 1989, and then we started having children, and money got a little tight by around the end of the 90s. Mm -hmm. So I actually had to make some hard decisions, and I cut out my comic collecting. That was a uh, luxury that we could no longer afford. Right. And so from like 2000 to 2010, I was without comics. Right. The money got a little bit better. Everything settled down. And for my birthday, my wife bought me. She found the uh, website online and they had a very active, the AC Comics website. They had a very active uh, back issue department at very reasonable prices, and she got me the entire run that I had missed. Oh, wow. Ten years of comics came in two big boxes, and it was awesome. I, I, it was a great, great birthday present. That's wonderful. So by, by then, I had, I'm, I'm a few years behind on my technology, and the Internet had really sprung, and I started emailing the editor of AC Comics, who is Mark Heike. And I complimented him on doing such a great job keeping the company afloat for all these years. Uh, independent comics are not an easy business. So. Oh, no, they're not. We we interview quite a few, and even Mike Gordon does his own comic with Tiki right. Zombie. Mm -hmm. So uh, Mark and I became uh, email friends. You know, as a new issue would come out, I would do a quickie review of it, and I'd send it to him, just me and him. And it was, uh, I tell him what I liked and I had constructive criticism of things I didn't like. And then around 2012, I noticed they were testing out new writers. And I have always written stuff ever since high school. I wrote things, but I never, ever showed it to anybody. My English teacher back in high school saw a couple of my stuff and she gave me some helpful pointers, but I was always too shy to show any of my work. So I wanted to try out uh, writing comics because I what didn't I don't think of myself as a prose writer. I don't have the finesse that Bobby Nash does. Well, nobody uh, does. You know, you know, he's so, uh, he's on a level on his own. You know, I I wrote what I thought was a uh, short story which could easily be turned into a comic. I did basic descriptions of the scenery, basic descriptions of the action and the dialogue, and I cold sent it in. And uh, Mark Heike emailed me back very, very quickly. And he said, that is not how we do things in the comic book industry. We don't take unsolicited uh, scripts. Because let's say I wrote Hero A punches Villain B. And then two months down the line, a comic book pops out where Hero A punches Villain B. I could accuse the uh, 
comic book company of stealing my idea. And oh, sure, of course. He, so that Mark Heike said, I don't ever read them. I can't steal them. I can ask you to send in a story or you can ask me and I could say yes, but then I'll tell you that story belongs to me. Right. Of I, course. I'm fine with that. And he said, your short story idea isn't going to work. You have to do it in a comic book template. Right. So I asked him to send me, if he could, send me one of his stories and I'll use his story as a template and I'll write a story that I think he could use. He did that. I wrote my story. I sent it in. And then it was like radio silence for weeks. And I said, oh, okay, I took my shot and he gave me the brush off. Right. And I, no, I'll, I'm a big boy. I'll survive. Yeah. That's what most people would think. You and then after thought, four yeah. weeks or so, Mark emailed me. He never usually initiated these email conversations because he's a busy man. He, he emailed me and said, I was surprised you never got back to me from your acceptance email when I finally realized it was never in my sent folder and I never sent it. He says, I like your story a lot. I'm going to put it into the book. Do you have any more? Now, I was a Boy Scout leader at the time, so I was prepared. And I did have a second story all ready to go. And I sent that one in. And he immediately emailed me back like an hour later. And he said, I like this one better than the first one. I'm going to fast track this and put it in the next issue because I think it'll fit right in with the main storyline. And uh, we're going to start going from there. Keep them coming. Really? So what the, the, the FemForce book at that time was an 80 page book where it had a 20 to 30 page main story, which featured the whole team and then a whole bunch of solo backup stories. And what I was writing was the solo backup stories. Oh, that's and, awesome. So it's like it's its own shared universe all in one book. So right. my second story was close enough that with a little editing and tweaking, it would fit right in with the current plot line, which I had no idea what it was. You know, I'm, I was just a reader like everybody else at the time. I had no inside info on what the next issue was going to come out. So that worked Great. out good. That's and, awesome. Uh, so you had no clue what they were going to be talking about since they were probably plotting months ahead and such. So, so he said, don't kill anybody. You know, don't kill any main characters. No major developments in their life. I want slice of life, one or two day adventure, you know, something that I can plug in anywhere. He said, I may sit on a story for a couple issues until it fits somewhere else. So don't get discouraged that way. Okay. And uh, we had a great relationship until uh, our recent unpleasantness hit. And uh, oh. we took a huge financial hit and they had to bring everything that they had to really tighten the belt and bring everything inside. So they've been producing books pretty much you know, in-house, and they they, sh they they brought the book down from 80 pages down to a 30-page a book, and they went back to color, so oh, their, wow. need, their need for extra stories right now doesn't, you know, doesn't preclude me too much anymore. Right, but, you know, think, are you working? Better, I think I'll get back into the swing writing crazy comics, but I've been, I've been working with some other artists and celebrities on doing other comics. Awesome. What do you? I really can't talk about them. I was about to ask, can you talk about that? But I, I understand. I, I've been approached by a couple of 
celebrities, mm-hmm. not big, big celebrities, but people that are known, are known. and uh, for comic work. And I've been working on that. Sure. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your film work that you've done? All right. Well, let's go back to AC Comics again. The the man that started AC Comics and was the executive editor was Bill Black. He's still around today. Right. And he loved making comics, but his passion was making movies. And he always wanted to make movies, but he never had the budget to make a really big movie. So he's got stuff from back in the 1960s where him and his friends got together and made short films. And he's been doing it all these years. And he has made movies featuring Femforth characters. So I actually got down to go, I actually got the chance to go down to Florida and meet him around 2013, beginning of 2013. And he was shooting a movie at the time. And he says, if I know you and you're in the area, I'll put you in the movie. Oh, wow. it was a it was a giant woman movie he was shooting, uh, the Revenge of Garganta, and he had a fourth floor apartment, and he said, "I want you and your wife to run across the courtyard, like you're being chased by a giant woman. So you run and you constantly look up and over your shoulders at me, and he'll be up in the fourth floor apartment filming down, like a forty foot woman is looking down at you, and it was." It was just a, a small bit part that he was going to edit into the movie. And uh, I got the bug. I said, boy, that, that uh, is 10, 15 minutes. Right. Uh, boy, that was 15 minutes of fun I just had right there. Oh, so I'm I got sure. the bug to do a movie. And then he went to go shoot another movie uh, set in Africa. And he put out the general call. And I said, I, I emailed him and I said, I fly down there and help you out. I'll do whatever you ask me. I'll, you know, I'll be a background laborer, whatever you want. You know, move a light, point the camera in the right direction, whatever you want to do. And he says, you know my rule. If you're here, you're in the movie. So uh, he sent me a script of what he wanted me to do. It was just maybe two lines. I played a drunk that gets thrown out of a bar in Africa. That, that's my, that was my debut. <laughs> so. But I did, a lot awesome. of, I did a lot of work behind the scenes on that movie. That was uh, the Nyoka movie and the Amulet of Vultura. Nyoka and the Amulet of Vultura. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. I actually have a uh, IMDb credit on that one. That one's on uh, IMDb. So I had an IMDb credit back in 2013. Oh, nice. And oh, have you, what I other stuff? Movie. We shot that movie and I, I paid attention. Years ago, I had read an interview with Lucille Ball. Right. He first got into the movies. The directors were always frustrated with her because she was never ready. She was a a background player in the beginning. She was never ready for her scene because she was always hanging out with the crew. And she would talk to all the guys, you know, why do you point the camera in this direction? You know, why is the microphone over here? She was learning as she was acting on how to make movies and television wasn't around but she later used all that energy into television so i paid attention to that interview and i was watching bill as he was compositing his shots and setting up his equipment and i got back to home and it was getting close to uh thanksgiving and my daughter was coming home from college 
And I said, can you help me make a short film? And she said, sure. And we contacted some of her friends and I dressed her up. I wanted to make a Western. And I dressed her up in a costume. My, one of my favorite comic book characters is from the Golden Age of Comics. Her name is the Black Phantom. I dressed my daughter up in a Black Phantom costume and we got three of her guy friends. A couple of them used to be in my Boy Scout troop. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to dress guys up as Western villains. And we shot a movie on uh, the day after Thanksgiving. And it was super cold out. And I thought I had shot maybe 15 minutes of usable footage. But when I sat down at the editing, it got down to two and a half minutes. So I shot a, we spent all day shooting a two and a half minute movie. <laughs> oh, wow. That was, so, you know, of, that was, it was probably a great experience for everyone involved. Uh, made a lot of mistakes, but I also did some good stuff. I, I think there was some good stuff in that. So uh, whenever Bill would call, I'd go down to Florida and help him out. And then I came back and I shot another Black Phantom movie, which came out really, really good. I had a guy who really knew how to edit and do the sound effects and the music. His name is Josh Kennedy. He's a young filmmaker also out of Texas. Cool. I sent him my, my raw footage and he, uh, he put it together and did a great job. That's awesome, man. That, that, one's really called awesome. a, that one's called A Coffin for the Black Phantom. That's how on YouTube. Can, how can people find that? It's on YouTube. You can find it on my uh, YouTube channel, Mark One Ho. Gotcha. We'll have a link to that up on our thanks, show notes. Thanks. And uh, so I got the movie making bug doing that. On uh, Facebook, I belong to a uh, Facebook group called Ape Suit Cinema. Where we ape celebrate, That's where awesome. we celebrate all the men and, and women that put on ape suits for a hundred years of movie making, and uh, they they put out a contest one year where they wanted ape suit movies, and they only got two entries. One of them was really really good, and one of them was not. And they said, "Well, maybe making a movie is too big." So the next year, I would, I think they came up with a brilliant idea. They said, we're going to make, we want you to make an ape suit trailer. We want you to make the trailer of the movie that you really want to make. And I said, there you go. I can do that. So uh, I made a, a trailer called uh, Cyber Ape versus the Hellbox. I had this real janky ape suit, which the zipper had blown out in the back. So I just put a big uh, army vest on them to cover the blown out zipper. Oh, that's awesome. So I, I had in the convoluted story, our hero is transformed into cyber ape. So he's a he's an ape, but he's a man and he still wears his uh, vest. So that's awesome. And uh, we got the Hellbots and they invade the Earth. And I had a rocket ship in it and flying saucers and ape fighting robots. And I cut that into a movie and uh, I sent that in and I came in fourth place, which is honorable mention. I got a uh, statue. So I now tell myself whenever anybody asks, I'm Mark Holmes award-winning filmmaker. And that's a nod nod to you guys and Bobby Nash, because you always introduce Bobby Nash as award-winning writer, Bobby Nash. Of course, he is the award-winning Bobby Nash. I stuck in award-winning 
filmmaker Mark Holmes. And whenever they asked, what award did you win? And I said, I won honorable mention for H2 Cinema's phony trailer contest. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, award-winning Mark Holmes. Okay. Are you ready to try out for the Geek Seat? Absolutely. I'm ready to go. Okay. I know you've been, you probably had these answers prepped for many years now. I, uh, I, once again, I'm, I'm a Boy Scout and I was prepared. I listened to a couple of old shows. I wrote down all the questions <laughs> and I That's... had my answers. <laughs> all right. So, okay. Mark, let's start with the easy ones first. Okay. Mark, you ready for this? What all is right. your favorite geek out moment? My favorite geek out moment was, uh, when I went to Chiller Theater Convention up in Parsippany, New Jersey, my mm. one plan was to meet the actress Caroline Monroe. Oh, sure. So I drove up there, and as I'm going into the convention, my heart started to race. I started to sweat, and I couldn't focus my thoughts. So I went into the men's room, and I splashed some cold water on my face, and I grabbed the sink, and I looked in the mirror. And I took some deep breaths and I got myself under control. And I said, okay, we're not going to go right to see Caroline Monroe right now. We're going to walk around. We're going to meet another couple celebrities first. And then when all the jitters are out, we're going to meet Caroline Monroe. I'm saying this to the mirror. Of course. So I go to the convention. I have a wonderful time. About halfway through, I said, okay, it's time. And I go there and she's there and she's absolutely lovely from across the room. And I get in line, I had my questions composed and I stepped up to her and I talked to her for a few minutes and she was just the most wonderful person you'd ever wanna meet. And she signed a couple pictures for me. And then I walked off and I didn't pay for the pictures. Oh no. Her, her handler jumped up and said, excuse me, and I turned around and he and he made the money sign. Right. Oh, right. damn it. And I, I go into my wallet and I, I give her the money and I apologize profusely. And I said, boy, I've just flubbed my uh, Caroline Monroe meeting. But luckily, uh, like I said, that the young filmmaker I was telling you about who, who cut my uh, Black Phantom movie together, uh, we got together and he was able to... Uh, make friends with uh, the handler for a lot of the hammer ladies that do the convention circuit. Nice. Monroe, Martine Beswig, Veronica Carlson. And uh, I actually got to work with Caroline Monroe in a movie called House of the Gorgon. And I had her in my car and I took her shopping to a mall one day. So oh, that's wonderful. I, I, if you work at it, some of your dreams can come true. That is. So awesome. I went from being a, 10-year-old boy watching her in Golden Voyage of Sinbad to her sitting in the passenger seat right next to me as I drove her to a mall. That is awesome. Yeah. That is... So that's you know my, what? Dreams that's to come true. Moment. That is awesome, dude. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Okay. Oh, oh, here we go. I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but yeah, I, walked out of, I walked out of Man of Steel very disappointed. Oh, you were not the only one, dude. You totally and were not the only one. One, one after the other, those DC movies have really let me down. They made some traction back with the uh, Snyder Cut. Okay. Uh, I, I, liked, I liked that movie up until the tacked-on ending. 
And I said, boy, they're, they're really fighting to take away what they just earned back. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, that was my, that Man of Steel was my disappointing movie because I, I saw which way the wind was blowing. You know, I, I, I walk out of a Marvel movie with a stupid grin on my face and I walk out of a DC movie shaking my head saying, what did I just watch? You are so not the only person who's doing that, Mark. You yeah. totally do. I, I know. I have Facebook friends. I don't get in fights on Facebook. I really don't. Right. But I got it into some spirited discussions <laughs> about Man of Steel and other DC movies. I got friends who will fight that, fight you and defend those movies to the end, saying they're brilliant. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. What geeks you out the most? What geeks me out the most? Oh, seeing geek culture actually normalized and i saw it coming but it didn't hit home until game of thrones hit when i was in the 70s when i was in junior high and high school i was always reading edgar rice burroughs or uh, robert e howard conan and uh books like that right books set in a uh, forgotten time where magic and humans coexisted and there are dragons. And I won't say all, but a lot of my classmates looked down on me for being a geek and reading weird stuff and, you know, not being super into sports and stuff like that. And then we fast forward, I'm in my fifties now and the entire world hangs on Sunday night when Game of Thrones comes on and it's a world in a medieval setting where magic and humans coexist and there are dragons. And I said, boy, was I way ahead of the curve on that one. <laughs> I think every one of you guys owe me an apology. <laughs> no, I agree with that, actually, because, you know, a lot of the folks who used to make fun of the geeks, mm-hmm. um, yep. they now are geeks themselves and if you question them about it you know remember oh, back yeah. when we were in school oh, oh wait i love that stuff back yeah, then. I love that way yeah <laughs> it's like oh yeah uh-huh i remember you guys making fun of me with about the costumes on doctor who yeah. or the, you know how bad star trek was or stuff like that so yeah no 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 you don't get a free pass on that mister uh-uh nope what turns your geek off okay uh, this is another one that's gotten to me now. Stars and creators who look down upon their earlier work. I, I'm not going to name any names, but there's a big star just had an interview where they don't like the way they portrayed, they were portrayed in a movie 10 years ago. And they said, I like the way I'm being portrayed now. Really? So, yeah. There was a comic book creator who uh, created a very sexy comic book character back in the 70s who is still popular today, mainstream. And he just said, uh, I don't like sexualized females in comics. And I'm saying, you hypocrite, man. (laughs) You created one of the most sexualized female comic book characters back in the 70s, and now you're complaining and halfway apologizing for what you've done? Mm-hmm. That, that, that bugs me out. I, oh, I'm sure. I'm a, I'll name a name now. I was at a convention and I saw Sybil Danning. Sure. Super sexy woman. She made a lot of questionable movies when she was younger. 
on her Q&A, she said, I'm completely unapologetic. Yes, I did make those movies. You know, let's move on. <laughs> so, you know what? I'm I, glad I, she, I, she actually lived up to it. That's yeah, awesome. I, I, I have mucho respect for her. Yeah, I made them. You know, okay. No, as my as my grandmother would say, she she was being a mensch about it, you know. <laughs> so it's pretty awesome. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> what fictional character would you like to meet the most? Okay, I really really thought about this one, and they say you should never meet your heroes, but I would love to meet Captain Kirk. Ooh, the Shatner version. The the only version, yes, the Shatner. Okay, version. the Shatner <laughs> version. Okay, I gotcha. enjoyed two thousand nine Star Trek. I enjoyed that movie. I didn't enjoy the next two, but I think Chris Pine did a very good job of being the Captain Kirk that they wrote for that movie. William Shatner will always be my Captain Kirk. Always. I named my son Kirk after him. Really? After his character, not after William Shatner. Oh, I was going to say. <laughs> That's awesome, though. That yeah. is awesome. I love that. Which fictional character would you like to meet the least? All right, let me double check my notes here. <laughs> okay. I do I do not like the crazy supervillain. So I'm going to say Joker and Harley Quinn would be the two least ones I would like to meet in fiction because they're just too crazy and they're too out there for me. Now, on the other hand, now I'm not saying he was crazy. In the Black Panther movie, I really was not enjoying that movie for the first half until they introduced Killmonger. Really? Batman had a plan. I understood exactly where he was coming from. I understood his plan. I may not have agreed with it, but he was firing on all cylinders. He knew exactly what he was doing, and there was nothing crazy about it. You know, he he no. dedicated his entire life to be at that point at that time. And his plan was working. And I said, now there's a villain. That was a well-written villain right there. So, but just going around doing crazy things, like uh, the man had, it was an incredible performance. I enjoyed it. Heath, Heath Ledger's Joker. Oh, that's was amazing. Different. I would never want to meet that guy. Never. I would never, I wouldn't want to be in the same building with him behind prison bars. I would not want to be anywhere near that guy. <laughs> no. That is, that's true. You know, I could totally understand that one. I think that one comes up quite a bit, actually. Really? Yeah. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? It's my second favorite comic book quote ever. Face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot. One of my favorites. I one see. of my favorites. I won't say I say that all the time, but when I have to pull that one out, that's a good one. <laughs> when something phenomenal happens, or you're really surprised when something good has just happened in your life, you just hit the jackpot. <laughs> nope, exactly. That's awesome. And you know what? Sometimes you just have to give yourself that little kick and think, you know what? Good things can happen to losers. And that's what happened with Peter Parker. Yep, yep. It's happened quite a lot for that guy. Because, <laughs> you know, if you think about it, Peter kept on putting off the, the date with her. That over was one and of the funniest things I ever... When, when it finally came together, I said, my God, he avoided that for issue after issue after issue. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Which is pretty awesome. And my, my favorite Mary Jane is Rometta's Mary Jane. Oh, that, she was gorgeous. She was gorgeous. 
I agree with that completely. What is your ideal geek occupation? Movie maker. I uh, want to make movies. Okay. It's as simple as that. I would, more I more and more be, bigger budgets, or do you want to stick with the low budget stuff? I, I think there is a market out there for low-budget movies, or maybe web shows or Roku TV shows or something like that. I think there's a market out there. I, I've seen big-budget movie after big-budget movie where I wonder where all the money went. They, they spend tens of millions of dollars on these things. And then some, some talented filmmaker comes out with a low budget movie and is as good, if not better, with just sheer talent over all the money they throw at some of these movies. So I would mm -hmm. like to try my hand at that. Roger Corman, Fred Owen Ray. Uh, oh, sure. Charles Band. Oh, yeah. There's so many out there that did amazing low budget stuff. Right. And, you know, I definitely think you could fit into that category, sir. Yeah. Thank you. What geek occupation would you not like to do? All right. I don't want to step on any toes again. There is a, there is a group of people out there, and they like to uh, pick one thing out and then destroy somebody's life. And I would not want to be the leader of a cancel culture mob. And it's something that's risen up in our community. And it, it just sickens me to my heart that people go out of their way to just ruin somebody over something they may have said or done 10, 15, 20 years ago. No, I could totally see that. I, 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 couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't join in a mob like that. And I would never want to be the guy that points a mob in, in a direction at somebody. There are, there are artists out there that I don't care for. They've done questionable things. I just move on. I just, okay. Mm -hmm. I, I've had uh, I have many artists and creator friends on Facebook and if they start going off in a direction I don't care for I either unfollow them or I just plain out unfriend them and I just move on that's what you need to do and that's what most people need to do on social media I agree mm -hmm. with that completely alright sir are you ready for your final question in the yes. geek seat yes alright this is for all the marbles so okay. make it count please oh, oh you're going to love it all right. Mark Holmes. Yes. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? There was an episode of CSI where they investigated a murder in a, I won't even call it a movie studio. It was a warehouse where these low budget filmmakers just ground out one slasher movie after another. They found the body in a pile of plastic bodies from the, the refuse from their horror movies. And I said, you know, you get a hold of an old building, like an old supermarket or a warehouse, something that has air conditioning. Mm -hmm. You hire a crew, that is their job to show up five days a week. You're going to be the cameraman. You're going to be the sound man. You're going to be the editor. And you get a gang of... Uh, young actors and actresses and you give them a weekly job you show up here five days a week every week and we're going to make movies we're going to just put them out you know you're going to get a script on monday and we'll have we'll finish shooting it in two weeks and then the next monday you'll have a new script and just make movies that's that's my dream job that is awesome dude have a that is awesome. it, use the same people over and over again 
Charlie Chaplin made 10 movies using the exact same crew of actors. That's awesome. He made them, he had a contract that he wanted to get rid of, get out of. And they said, you owe us 10 movies. So he got 10 people or got this group together and they put out 10 of the funniest movies you ever saw in your life. And he fulfilled his contract and moved on to make his, you know, be his own boss and make his own movies. But, that's uh, awesome. That's that's what I would love to do. Have a centralized location and just make westerns and horror movies and sci-fi movies. That's cool, dude. That is a great fantasy. Yeah. You never know; it could come true too. It could. It could. Yeah. Well, Mark, I've got some great news for you. Thank you. You've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations. Oh, I'm going to take a drink here. Oh, please do. I, I, I have an old, a old soda. No, I don't think I have So, dude, you have won yes. an amazing, amazing gift. You've won a subscription to the ESO Network, which is valued right now currently at $855. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> Too bad it's only in... Uh, currency for the uh for the station but you know it still helps well mark congratulations dude and it was great finally having and taking the time to talk with us thanks for having me you you know if you need me just give me a buzz and i'm there okay and how can people find you okay the best place to find me is on facebook i am always there uh that i'm under mark holmes aspiring comic book writer Mm -hmm. and you can find my work best at uh my YouTube channel, Mark, the number one, Ho, M-A-R-K, the number one, H-O-E. Awesome. And we will have links to this up on our show notes. Thank you so much, sir. Let's take a quick break, and we will be back in a moment, and we're going to be talking all about Wallace and Gromit. Ashley Pauls with this week's box office buzz. I'm really excited because we're heading into the month of July, which feels like the first time in a really, really long time that we're actually getting a summer blockbuster movie season. There's a new movie coming out in theaters pretty much every weekend in July, and I think it's going to be so exciting to get to go back to the theater to see these action-packed movies. Of course, kicking this off is the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Black Widow. Now, I feel like the MCU has been absolutely killing it over on Disney Plus with great series like WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and Loki. Hopefully, Black Widow will kind of continue that trend. I don't know if I'll end up loving Black Widow as much as I love these TV series, just because the TV shows actually feel like a lot more exciting to me in terms of their concept. They're really pushing the franchise forward. They're doing some creative, boundary-pushing storytelling. Black Widow, by by its very nature, is a prequel. We already know what happens to the character, and I don't think it's going to have as much impact on the broader MCU and the future of that franchise. But I'd love to be proven wrong, and it's always exciting to see the MCU on the big screen, especially after such a long hiatus. Also coming to the big screen is Space Jam, A New Legacy. I grew up watching the original Space Jam movie, and I have a lot of nostalgia for it. I'm not necessarily overly hyped for the new one, just because I feel like if I want to watch Space Jam, I'm going to go back and just watch the original and relive my memories, but we'll be curious to see if this new movie can inspire another generation of young fans. 
We also have the G.I. Joe spinoff movie, Snake Eyes. G.I. Joe is one of those franchises that didn't quite get off the ground in the same way as other franchises like, again, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I'm so desperate for blockbuster movie content. This one looks kind of interesting, so I'll probably see it. And finally, I'm actually really looking forward to Jungle Cruise with Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. I wouldn't have necessarily thought it was a great idea to make a movie about the Disney theme park ride, Jungle Cruise, but this movie looks like a blast. And I think we all need something that's just kind of fun and a good time to have at the movies after what a crazy over a year now it's been with the pandemic. So I'm excited to go back to the theater in July and support my local theater and hopefully we can keep movie theaters going. But again, also thankful that a lot of these movies have streaming components. So if you're in an area and you don't feel safe going out in public yet, you can still see these movies too. That's it for this week's entertainment news. If you're looking for more movie and TV content, you can check out my blog over on the ESO podcast website. The kid and I have flown from one side of the galaxy to the other. We've been listening to a lot of strange podcasts, but the monster sci-fi show stands above the rest. Isn't that right, Quarku? I still hate that name. The Monster Sci-Fi Show is part of the ESO Network. It's sci-fi from a certain point of view. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it is time to talk all about Wallace and Gromit. Everything that we could think of under the sun, and of course we need cheese. We everyone have to have cheese. So and toast. So everyone ready for it? Take it away, Mikey. We are ready, and we've got a great crew to talk about it. Starting with our good friend from Chicken Town, Cornflake is back with us. Good evening, everyone. Now, now I have to ask you uh, because we're talking about Ardman Productions. Chicken Run is a documentary that was filmed in Chicken Town, correct? You heard it here first. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I always suspect <laughs> whenever I picture Chicken Town, whenever you and mention and you and Kevin mention Chicken Town, that's what I picture. I picture oh. the 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 chicken run. It's accurate that none of our chickens want to be pies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also have with us Anthony Williams. Anthony, welcome back. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely, and we have with us Alan Porter. Alan, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show again. It's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. Glad to have you all with us, especially having some voices that uh, originated from the other side of the pond. It's great to have you both with us to get your perspectives on uh, uh, Wallace and Gromit, a, uh, certainly a phenomenon that uh, I think they made their debut in 1986, which, wow, that's such a long time ago. Um, uh, and quite an amazing story because uh, Nick Park uh, actually started working on them in 1982. So, <laughs> uh, so um, I think it took five or six years for them to uh, for that first film to be made, which is just astounding when you think about it. Um, and everything that's come since then. Uh, but I want to hear about everybody's personal introduction to the pair. Uh, so we'll start with you. We'll start with you, Anthony. So um, this is probably one of the only stories that starts with, I discovered Wallace and Gromit while I was at the dentist. 
So, <laughs> I think I, I was probably, I don't know, eight years old. A close shave, I think, had just come out. So it would have been around 95. And, you know, I'm at a, at a dentist. I'm eight he years old. So young. So young. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having, what have you done to my teeth? And it's a fancy dentist. So they have the, the headset that they put over your eyes so you don't see what's going on. And all they had was Wallace and Gromit. So I'm I'm there and they've numbed my mouth and what have you. And I'm watching this thing that I'd never seen before. And I'm eight years old and I loved it. And I kind of went, I need, is there more of this? So I harangued my parents until they found the other two on VHS and uh, loved those as well. And it's been a, a series of short films and, and a movie that I've enjoyed ever since. Yeah, it's hard to believe that there's been um, just so few releases, um, at least with Wallace and Gromit proper, of course, with uh, some of the spinoffs that I'm sure we'll talk about. There's much more content than that. But uh, um, uh, Cornflake, what about you? When were you introduced to the pair? It was a weird introduction. I did not really discover Wallace and Gromit until 1997. And it watching, uh, I believe it was... What was the one that I watched? The The very first one that I saw, of course, was A Grand Day Out. And mm-hmm. I mean, I had come out a, many, many years ago. But uh, watching A Grand Day Out was the last thing I did before I was packed up and driven off to college. <laughs> and so uh, the guy that I was dating at the time, we had a little time to kill before we drove all of my stuff to UMass Lowell, which is where I went to college and just enough time to watch a grand day out. And he's like, you need to see this. And I became a fan from there. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I was a, a late adopter and I, right. I've seen all the films save for the curse of the were rabbit. So I am coming <gasps> away from this panel today, either convinced that I need to see it or convinced that I should skip it. You guys be the judge. Wow. Uh, wow. I, I can't think of any reason why you should skip it, but maybe uh, maybe that's a, I don't know. I didn't know there was a controversy there. Um, uh, Alan, what about you? So between the mid 80s and mid 90s, I actually lived in Bristol, um, which is oh, where Ardman is. Wow. Ardman, that's I mean, Ardman Central. <laughs> Ardman's, yeah, that's where Ardman is. Um, and my wife's from Bristol and my two kids were actually born there. And actually, 89 was the year my eldest daughter was born. So I'm really aging myself here. Um, but uh, yeah, you couldn't get away from Wallace and Gromit, basically, if you lived in Bristol between the mid 80s and the mid 90s. They were all over town. And they still are when you when you go back because they're really the uh, the mate. Them and Cary Grant are the two major exports of, uh, of Bristol in the uh, 20th century, I think. Um, so, uh, yeah, we sort of grew up with him. And uh, 89, when uh, A Grand Day Out came out, um, I, that was the thing I snuggled down on the sofa with my daughter in my arms. And it helped her. Uh, amazingly, it would actually help her fall asleep. Um, but uh, as she's grown older, she's grown to appreciate it more and she stays awake through it now. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, we just watched it. And then when it came out on VHS tape, we just watched it all the time. Um, so we've been big fans of uh, Wallace and Gromit from the beginning. And um, we were, I don't know if you know, but there's actually a Wallace, there's a Gromit Unleashed store in the mall outside of Bristol. Um, I did not know that. So whenever we go back, wow. whenever we go back, um, we go in there and, have our pictures taken and we have a giant morph. If you know, it's history of art, 
Hardman animation and Morph. They have a giant Morph statue in the background and in, in the corner. Right. So we always get our pictures taken with Morph and usually come back with some Wallace and Gromit uh, stuff from the, from the store. Um, so, it, yeah, it's been a big part of our lives and continues to be so. so. I remember it- Morph. I remember Morph as a kid in Britain in the 90s. It was impossible to get away. Morph was yeah. on just about every single kid's art TV show. Well, I mean, he, as I was growing up, too, because he goes right back to the 70s, I believe. I mean, Oh, I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Doing the research, I, I, I never realized, actually, Ardman Animation is 50 years old next year. Wow. Yeah. The company. Yeah. I, yeah. I think so. most people in the, certainly most people in the States think Ardman was just a Wallace and Gromit company. Like, you know, so yeah. that's where they got their, that's where they uh, became their, their uh, that was their, like their main thing. But Morph was huge uh, for them uh, in the 60s, I think, right? Yeah, it was well, 70s. Yeah, yeah, 70s. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I, you know, seeing the character, because I just saw they have a great uh, documentary on Netflix on Ardman. Oh, and, it's so uh, good. Yeah, and seeing. Mm-hmm. It is seeing, wonderful. Seeing Morph, uh, I was like, oh, I recognize him, but I had not seen anything that he'd sort of done uh, prior to that. But, um, and, and Ardman is such a perfect marriage for Nick Park. So it's a great, uh, you know, because there's a lot of, you know, the fact that Morph doesn't speak, the fact that Gromit doesn't speak, Sean the Sheep doesn't speak. Like there's these characters, they have this history of characters, great characters that they have huge success with that don't talk because, and that just makes them more universal. They're um, so expressive, though. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's a great history there. And, and Nick Park just sort of like fit right in and and amplified everything. I think uh, when he came aboard, uh, because um, yeah, the, the, it seems like their their style sort of changed. So everything Ardman after that seemed to look like a Nick Park like figure, like the, that those eyes, that mouth, that that profile. Um, it seemed like that that was like the template going forward. Although I think they've changed it somewhat on some other things now lately. But but um, but Mike, what about you? What was your introduction to Wallace and Gromit? I was not introduced to Wallace and Gromit until '94, actually. Ooh, wow, a little bit later. But I was at the Seattle Film Festival of all places, and of course, it was the wrong pants. Was what I. Wrong trousers, and so you, you I got, saw the American version, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it, it was with the New York accents and everything. You, you, it was awesome. You saw, you saw a big day out, and <laughs> yeah, no, it was wrong trousers. Wrong it was wrong trousers, and um, it was you know I used to go see all the animation and shorts since that was my field at the time, mm-hmm. and it was it was like a stop a, stop motion animation. This looks amazing, and. So I fell in love with it right away. It was such a great, great viewing. And I actually went to both showings of it. That's how much I enjoyed it. And from there, I just, you know, started researching and seeing where I could see it because there was no internet still at that time. And so PBS, luckily in Seattle, um, did show, you know, Grand Day Out and then, you know, it was just, you know, it was great and just went from there. And I've seen pretty much everything since. So 
It was pretty awesome. Including Were Rabbit. It was awesome. Can I just <laughs> say that I did not deliberately dodge Were Rabbit? That's My family rented it back in the days of Blockbuster and I was supposed to sit down and watch it with my family but I had to work late that day so all my younger brothers and sisters I'm the oldest of seven if you didn't know they all sat down and watched it without me and I missed it <laughs> <gasps> and they had to be kind and rewind so you yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> well um I, you know I can't remember the exact year uh, but, uh, it, I was really interested in short films, um, and all types of films back in the, uh, eighties as well. And, um, and there was a, there was a festival that toured around called Spike and Mike's, uh, festival of animation. Oh, yeah. oh, I remember that quite well. And, uh, I believe somewhere in, uh, you know, like the first volume or second volume, I think. I saw Creature Comforts, right? And uh, that's uh, another uh, Ardman production. I think directed, yeah, that's directed by Nick Parks as well. And that was just amazing. It blew my mind, the animation, the fact that it was real folks uh, doing the voices, uh, unscripted, and yet put to these animals was just a, a stroke of genius. It was great. Uh, it won the Oscar that year. Actually, um, uh, Nick Park uh, uh, won the Oscar. Um, he competed against himself because <laughs> Grand Day Out was also nominated that year. So I didn't see Grand Day Out, but but um, immediately. But once uh, you know that out of all the festival of animation that that time that I saw that um, Creature Comforts was the best. It was it stood out to me, and I had to see everything that this company and its director did. And so it wasn't long after that, that I saw Grand Day out and was blown away by that too. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, when Wrong Trousers came out, I think I, that was the first one I saw in the theater. And I'm not sure if it was the film festival, or how I saw that, but I, I'm pretty sure I went with, um, with Michelle. We went and saw that in the theater and that just blew me away. My, my, because it, it, it combined everything, my love for animation, my love for, comedy my love for hitchcock like all in one great package and um i don't know how you guys feel about uh, you know the other films and all that but to me uh wrong trousers you know there's not many perfect movies out there but like that one is one of the ones that i think comes like the closest to be perfect it's just, <laughs> i just yeah. i cannot get tired of that movie i just watch it over i just watched it like two days ago and I just, I'm like, it was like I saw it fresh again for the first time. It was just, it's just delightful. And all of them have elements of that, to be honest with you. They're all extremely rewatchable because the amount of detail and effort that Nick and his team put in these things is just incredible. There's just things upon, like layers upon layers upon layers in these movies. Um, we'll start with Grand Day Out because obviously that's the beginning um, and so, and watching it now, it seems so raw and so early and so rough. Um, Alan, what are your impressions of, of that now? Does it still hold up for you as, as a Wallace and Gromit or, or is it a, a, a definitely an early entry? It's definitely an early entry. Yeah. We watched uh, the four main ones again over the weekend and I was struck particularly watching it probably for the first time on a big, you know, 4k 80 inch tv <laughs> um, you know you can see all the thumbprints and you know they uh it's it's a very 
very uh, basic uh, thing. It doesn't. It was interesting you mentioned the Hitchcock. The thing that really struck me over the weekend watching them all together was, my God, these are all horror movies, and I yes. never really thought about yes. the fact that they are horror <laughs> yes, movies. <they> are. Um, <laughs> but this one isn't. This one isn't. This is is a fun adventure. It's more of a sort of uh, early science fiction, man in the moon type stuff. Um, but I loved it. Um, I mean, one of the things I mentioned, we lived in Bristol, but I'm actually from the north of England. Um, so the whole Lancashire setting, um, that's, I grew up in houses like that and places like mm-hmm. that. People around me spoke like that. So, you know, for me, it was, that was sort of coming home. Um, there's still a lot of that, you know, when I speak to a lot of my relatives, I still hear a lot of that in that, in the way that they talk. So, um, it has a very homey feeling for me. I, I can really relate to that one probably more than the others. The others are great fun, as you said. They're, they're good fun, pastiches, homages, great stories. But actually, A Grand Day Out really is the one that is, is closest to my heart, I think, because it, it's it's that slice of my childhood, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah. So not that we all blasted off to the moon <laughs> from our basements or anything. but yeah. <laughs> Just got cheese. You know, yeah, 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 but just that you yeah. know the Wensleydale cheese and the, the Jacobs cream crackers and the, when the cheese yeah. shop was out, that's where you went. Yeah. That's just that you is. know that's yeah. where you go. Yeah. Uh, Actually, uh, my wife Jill and I were saying one of the things in that that really hit the, the nostalgia button for us, and you may not get it, but it was a very British thing, was the holiday brochures. Yeah, um, at the beginning, because in the UK, when you go on vacation, you used to pre internet days, you would go to a travel agent and come home with a big stack of holiday brochures. <laughs> And even if you had no intention of actually going on vacation, if it was just a rainy, wet Saturday, you'd go into the travel agent and grab all these brochures for all these faraway places and just come home and have a cup of tea and flick through all these one- and look at pictures of all these wonderful places that you'd never, ever go. Um, so them just sitting on a rainy bank holiday, flicking through the holiday brochures, we just cracked up at that because that was just hit the nostalgia buttons for us. And I, I just about remember that, Alan. You know, yeah. uh, being <laughs> a child you. of the 90s i, I think about 98 was probably when they started getting phased out so yeah, yeah yeah i definitely remember my parents having those well one of the things that i i saw and you you both can speak to this um because one of the things i noticed in the in the uh documentary is they they said that um you know despite their universality the fact that you know they've been translated to many languages and they're worldwide hits huge across the world uh mainly because you know like i said the main characters don't don't speak so there's a lot of uh things that people can relate to even without language necessary that barrier but yet wallace and gromit have stayed uh according to this documentary and people they talk to very very british um and uh you know i could it, it feels like that to me but obviously uh my limited time there as well as uh, my limited experiences there, you you know, you guys could speak more to that. That if if they become less British over the years, or if they still maintain that that uh, that Britishness. Oh no, they're very very not just British, but very Northern British. Yeah, all the way through. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say exactly that. Alan already touched that it's visibly Lancaster. Um, you look at Wallace and. I mean, there's no way he as a character could be anything other than British or you, or even um, if you go to a close shave, Wendelin, uh, there, there is, you're right, very, very Northern British feel to all of them. Uh, you, you were joking earlier about the American versions. I did read doing some of the research that they did actually at one point talk to an American network about 
funding future ones, but they wanted to Americanize them and actually change their and have them redubbed and revoiced and wow. call it the wrong pants and things. No, you have an idiot named Faber who just got it wrong, but <laughs> it's not worth picking up for a TV network. No, no, no. no. But, so uh, apparently Nick Park stuck with his guns and was like, no, it's, it's Northern England, you know, good. it's got to be Northern England or nothing. So. Good for him. But Mike, it's, yeah. it's interesting what you said about um, it being translated into other languages. It's not quite Wallace and Gromit, but adjacent to it. So I remember being in India about 12 years ago and putting on the TV while I was getting ready to go out for dinner with my parents and what was on, but Sean the Sheep. Ah. And Believe me, you haven't lived until you've heard the Shaun the Sheep theme tune in Hindi. That is something oh, wow. <laughs> out there. But again, because there's so little dialogue, if any at all, it translates very well. You, you don't have to know English to know what's going on. They don't have to spend a lot of money on translators. Um, it really is a, a medium that can transcend country and, and linguistic boundaries. Uh, it's amazing to me also uh, doing the research and watching the documentary how, how you know it's one of those things where it's like man sometimes just things just happen the right way uh, even if, if along the way accidents happen now they just seem like it was destiny sort of because we almost didn't get Wallace and Gromit we almost got uh, uh, Peter I think um, uh, no sorry Jerry the postman and his cat like that was almost that was what Nick Hart's originally to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, the cat was too hard to animate, he said. Uh, mm-hmm. So he went with the dog instead. And I, I think this is true. After rewatching all of the movies this over the past few days, I don't think there's a single cat in in depicted in the Wallace and Gromit universe. There is, though. The nuns are carrying them down the street. Oh, the kittens. And, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, that's right. Right. The kittens. That's yeah. right. Okay. Good call. Good call. <laughs> so there's kittens, not a full ground cat though. But there's kittens there. But that is funny. Yeah, in the uh in the obvious homage to a Batman 66 movie, right? Like <laughs> where he's trying to get rid of the bomb. It's so obvious and yet so brilliant. Oh um, yeah, the ducks in the pond. It was great. <laughs> I I love it. But before we get too far away from a grand day out, yes. you know what strikes me about this is you know that whimsical idea that the moon is made of cheese and who hasn't thought of that now and again. And um I love cheese. I'd go to the moon for it. But here's the crazy thing. A few years ago, I heard on NPR, I think it was, was certainly public radio, an interview with Peter Salas. Uh, It was a replay. It turns out, I don't know if you all have heard this, but get this, Peter Salas doesn't like cheese. (gasps) (laughs) Isn't that crazy? What? (laughs) Who doesn't like cheese? Everybody likes cheese. He doesn't doesn't hate it. It's just not his thing. Like, he's... He's not into cheese. <laughs> it, it, it just goes to show you how great of an actor he was. <laughs> Those are some acting jobs. Yeah, because he totally makes us believe that the you know, that he lives and breathes for cheese. Uh, <laughs> Wednesdaydale, especially Wednesday. <laughs> not even Wednesdaydale. That was so funny. Um, uh, Mike, what about you? What What are your thoughts on uh, Grand Day? Oh, it was just wonderful. It was so quirky, you know, because everyone has the parts to build a spaceship in their basement, as you know. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I loved it when, you know, they finally got it, the rocket and they forgot the crackers with like 10 seconds left. It was just, it was just brilliant. 
it really, really was brilliant. And it was just so much fun. And I just, it was just like, what was not to like about this, to fall in love with these characters. And, you know, you had to try to figure out who really was the brains between the two of these guys, you know, mm-hmm. also. And that's what, that's what made the dynamic so wonderful in this. And that's what I loved about it. Yeah, and then you've got this sort of moon century robot, century robot thing that like almost steals the show. Like that robot is my favorite. <laughs> if you visit Chicken Town at all, you know that we have a thing for robots. Yes, and yes, it's true. I love that coin-operated robot. <laughs> yeah, it's adorable, and you know, you honestly feel bad for it that it doesn't get to go to Earth and ski, you know, and and it still manages to find a solution. So. That's uh, that's really awesome. The uh, the attention to detail and in the little things, starting with Grand Day Out, is what what really kills me. Like it's just I can't stop grinning when I see when I'm watching Grand Day Out, and you know they're 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 they start making the rocket, and you know they just there's this one off shot or whatever you think it's a one off shot, this simple shot to a couple mice looking at it right and watching them with interest, and then. You know, they continue on and they continue on making the rocket. And then when they're, you know, they go through the 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 minute, you know, to go and he's got to go to the crackers and all that kind of stuff. And there's drama there. So you totally forget about the mice. And then, boom, there's ignition. <laughs> they're ready to go. The thing lights up and they show like now there's a crowd of mice on the ground. And once it starts igniting, like they all have sunglasses, like it's which was just, genius it, without the shades. shades. Yeah, it just kills me that they whip out the shades for that. Like they're just, and they're all different colors. Like they're they're not the same shades. They're just all different. And it's just, it's like that kind of thing is just brilliant. That's it's just brilliant, and it just shows like to me, you know, when you watch that first one, and even when you watch the later ones, you still see, especially in HD or whatever you still see the thumbprints. You still f- see fingerprints on them. And it shows that it's made, this stuff is still made by hand. It's still crafted. And, you know, this came about in an age where um, Toy Story and Pixar was 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 starting, like, it just blown everybody away. And everybody thought that CGI, CG, computer-generated, you know, movies, mm-hmm. animation was going to just take over. And we would not see anything like this ever again. And yet, uh, you know, the turnaround on these things is not easy. <laughs> like, like it's 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 a it's a, it, it. That's why there's so few of these, right? Because they make them by hand and they take so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly, the craftsmanship is just amazing in these. So, uh, so then we get to my favorite. Like I said before, the wrong trousers. It's the perfect mix to me of of uh, like just a Hitchcock at its at its best and it's done like it, it's sort of done uh tongue-in-cheek but yet it's it sticks to those rules that hitchcock makes for for getting suspense starting with this character of the penguin which he just makes me laugh the minute he's introduced <laughs> and he you know he walks in we don't see him we just see gromit look like look for him and then look down like oh well, whoever this is going to be it's going to be short and then they show us the penguin and he's just looking straight ahead until he suddenly looks at Gromit. <laughs> and and it's just, and it takes you back. And you have that music cue, too, that helps out. And it's just a perfect introduction. You you know right away that this this penguin is bad news. 
um, and uh, the rest of it with the with the actual mechanical trousers and everything else that uh, goes into this is just it's insane. The the culmination scene, the chase scene with the trains, I think is one of the most spectacularly animated scene sequences in all of film history. Uh, uh, when, especially when Gromit starts laying tracks, <laughs> like they run out of tracks and he grabs a box of new tracks and he starts oh, laying like, tracks sh- in front sh- of him. <laughs> that was just brilliant. It's so good. Um, uh, Anthony, what are your feelings about Wrong Trousers? So I think in my, in my head, I know objectively this is probably the best of the original three. My heart always tells me a close shave because that was the first one I saw. Sure. But to your point, Mike, everything you just said, this is so spectacularly animated. And again, it's stop motion. To think about how they did that very train scene oh. is mind-blowing. And yet they pulled it off and it looks spectacular. Um, the concept of it with the penguin and the heist, and it, it's it's incredibly plotted. Uh, I would love to get a look inside Nick Parks's mind because wow you might never get out though that's the problem <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah it's it's brilliant um so that's i guess what what i have to say about this one speaking of nick park too just to just to piggyback off that for a minute all the interviews with him and everything he just seems like maybe the nicest guy on the planet ultra gracious yeah absolutely uh so humble uh just a guy who thinks he's just doing what he's doing and he just seems such a uh, like a low-key kind of guy certainly it doesn't get caught up on all the 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 accolades and the the popularity and you know the stardom i mean he talks about you know meeting all these people whether it's actors who come in and do some of the 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 voices for some of the films afterwards or the producers that work with them meeting spielberg etc when they're working with dreamworks and he just seems like he's he's just not comfortable in those kind of scenarios. He's just comfortable just making his little movies just by himself with it, you know. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great. Um, and it speaks to, I think, what a genius he has with all that stuff going on in his head. I don't want him to change. <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to visit his head, but. <laughs> I, I think to that point, though, Mike, there's there's a stereotype about the northern English being kind of salt of the earth and i think that's what he is he hasn't let it go to his head he's stayed grounded um and he just enjoys doing what he does yeah and lucky i mean his what he does is amazing uh, uh you know what go ahead i i was just gonna say you know what i love about the wrong trousers it's it's a couple of things for one thing when things are not going right with the heist and they went to the trouble of the putting the detail in of the penguin sweating bullets Mm -hmm. (laughs) you never expect you to see that happening with a penguin and then (laughs) those those mechanical trousers those that's one of the most hysterical things i've ever seen anywhere not just in the wallace and gromit universe but anywhere and i was thinking about them the other day because we're doing this walk thing with my work it's a hundred mile challenge for the month and some of us 
myself included, are having a hard time getting to that hundred miles. So they're like, plan to make sure that you get to your hundred miles if you know if you can find a way to do it. And I sent everyone a gif of Wallace in those trousers going down the street. Like, this is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I want to know where they got a pair of pajama bottoms that big. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the pajama, but it, it make that was a very northern thing, making sure he's got his pajama bottoms and then the they're those flannel ones that with the stripes and tight. Yeah, that cracked me up. The other thing about that that I really liked is the fact that they never really explained the trousers. He was like, I just got these from NASA Surplus. <laughs> yeah. That was it. End of explanation. You know? That's all you need. And, and they were, they were yeah. supposed to be Gromit's birthday present. And Gromit <laughs> did not look so yeah. excited at no. all about getting the collar and no. being walked by the pants. <laughs> no. no. He, he no. finds workarounds pretty easily with that, with that sort of thing. Um. My favorite part of the pants, uh, is the wrong trousers themselves, the mechanical trousers, uh, is, yes, they are so loud and, you know, you can see them, you can hear them coming. But once they're on the roof and then they go to the, the um, what is it, the metal, what is it, the like vent? Like the vent. Yeah. And then you hear the boom, the boom, vent. boom, yeah, boom. Vent. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. we just kind of goes around the side and goes it's upside just, down. It's just perfect. And and to your point, going to like, yes, like, this is the bad guy. You know, this is how I know that we are like that. Nick is actually a director of some, of some skill because the penguin is a bad guy. We're not, we shouldn't be rooting for him. What he's doing is bad things. The way he's treated Gromit, um, the way he's treating Wallace is, is just awful. And he's doing it for nefarious purposes. And yet when he starts sweating, we're like, God, I hope he makes it like we're we're rooting for it. (laughs) I mean, that, that takes skill. That takes you know, a lot of skill. For no other reason to keep Wallace from getting hurt in all of this. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Exactly. Sure, sure. We'll go with that. Exactly. And <laughs> just made me realize that, you know, penguins are evil. It's okay. You know. Yeah. Although there are several times where you're thinking, you know, it, it's not a bad idea. Or I could see Wallace getting hurt a little bit more often with some of these contraptions. than Because it seems like Gromit usually takes the brunt. Oh, yeah. Right? So... So usually seeing, uh, you know, and every once in a while you see Wallace get it, and uh, um, that's that's okay, that's all right. I think um, it's it's interesting just thinking back to the comment on a grand day out and how you're not quite sure which one of them is the brains of the operation. By the time you get to the wrong trousers, you can clearly see that Gromit is the smart one, and Wallace is just completely oblivious to everything. He's oblivious to feathers. He's oblivious to Gromit's workaround with the trousers. He's just not paying attention. And and clearly Gromit is the brains behind everything. Oh, look at all the books he reads. It's just well, amazing. Yeah. True, yeah. but yeah. but the initial ideas um are Wallace's. I mean, Wallace has these inventions as we go forward, especially. Like he comes up with these amazing contraptions. Um and yeah. It's up to Gromit to kind of like you know save him from himself, so to speak. Uh, quite often, uh, zero street smarts. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it exactly. That's it exactly. Uh, Mike, what about you with wrong yep. trousers? Oh, wrong trousers is wonderful. Just the thought of how they synced up the audio to the animation is just spectacular. From the sound, from all the ambient effects to, and it's just it's just awesome. And you literally, it's just amazing because you get so much emotion from the penguin and 
from you know than from you know the dog you know from the dog and the penguin it's just it's just all around beautiful and everything absolutely and that one quite rightly so does win the oscar oh yeah Um, it deserved it yeah absolutely uh and then we have uh that's followed up a couple years later with close shave uh which is even you know it's once again it's like it it these are these are movies that sort of variations on a theme i mean the plots are pretty similar going forward you know wallace invents something they get involved in some sort of you know side industry or whatever um things go wrong and grommet usually saves the day or whatever so i mean these are but uh but the the variations that they tell and the other side characters um i mean close shave you've got a bunch but obviously the one that that steals the show and then goes on to a huge career of his own is Sean the Sheep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Anthony, what are your feelings about Close Shave? I mean, I, I already said it. It's the first one I saw. And <laughs> for me, it already has a, a very special place in my heart. I mean, Sean the Sheep for an eight-year-old, absolutely show-stealing. I loved Preston as a kid. You know, this evil robotic dog that you don't know is a robot until the twist at the end. Yep. Absolute genius. Uh, and this... This uh, little short really had everything. You know, it's got some humor, it's got some horror, and it it just works on so many levels. You can enjoy it at eight years old. You can enjoy it at thirty eight years old. Mm. You know, it's it's brilliantly done. Um, I think each one is a progression of what was laid down in the previous production. So, with the wrong trousers, you you get your first other character in feathers. Here you get three more very memorable characters and uh, you know I, I for me again it was my first one and my heart always tells me that this one is my favorite even if i know objectively it's not quite as good as the wrong trousers well yeah it's understandable um and uh and yes this one introduces i think for the first time a love interest for wallace yes uh, which and is- and of course, she's the first other character that actually speaks other than yes. Wallace. Yes. That's true. Yep, absolutely. And her last name is Ramsbottom, and that's never not sunny. Yes, I know. <laughs> awesome. you know. Years later, we'd laugh at that again in Despicable Me too, And I'm like, this is not yep. the first time we've laughed at, at Ramsbottom. Where was it? It took me a while to remember. It was Wallace and Gromit, close shave, which, by the way, Anthony my favorite too regardless of how the other ones are done just uh for for one thing with the introduction of sean the sheep and and really all the sheep um and for another uh, the window washing (laughs) oh that was just so awesome and And then the bungee bungee cord yeah yeah although of course speaking of the sheep the sheep doing um you know acrobatics on on, yeah exactly yeah. that that yeah. is forever etched into my memory absolutely mm-hmm. i will i will add to that that actually while uh, the wrong trousers may be technically the best uh, a close shave is my wow, personal okay. favorite too yeah um um for, for for many reasons um one i'd completely forgotten that this was the one that introduced sean the sheep um so i i got inordinately excited when we were re-watching it the other night and i was like oh my god it is actually sean <laughs> um so that um I thought that um, the Thunderbirds pastiche mm. yep. with the yep. launch sequence of the motorcycle yep. and sidecar, because my wife and I are in the middle of a Thunderbird, classic Thunderbirds rewatch. So we're, we're, we're viewing that at least once a week for the last uh, several months. So the, the Thunderbirds pastiche. Um, 
yeah, the white helmet motorcycle routine was, was awesome. Um, there is actually in England a army motorcycle display team called the White Helmets who do that routine wow. off a motorcycle. That was exactly <laughs> what that was. Um, the other one that got me, uh, and you mentioned earlier, was the books. Was um, is the books and the newspaper? Oh, yeah, the newspaper headlines the, are great. The sheep wrestlers. I, 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 for me, one of the absolute classics was in this one where it had the newspaper headline was uh, "Mad Dog Attacks" in the neighborhood, and there was a very small subhead that said. Um, Oh, Lord Baskerville. <laughs> Brilliant. So, so, yeah, this, this time around, I was like reading the back of every newspaper that Gromit was reading, reading all the headlines, pausing it, going over the, cause, uh, and the, the book titles, the LP titles. Um, yeah, we just, uh, just get better and better as you go through each one with absolutely, all the references. Absolutely. So. Um, Mike, what about you? What's your feelings towards Club Steve? Oh, loved it. It It is up there. It's, it, truthfully, it's one of my favorites. I also love how, you know, basically Preston was the Terminator. In oh, this, yeah. And oh, it, yeah. it, it was awesome. But I love the homage with uh, Gromit um, being Snoopy and, you know, flying the, you know, the airplane, basically. Oh, that's I, really in your face and where around it. Oh, yeah. I, oh, very much so. <laughs> but, yeah, this, you know, this was just like you know watching this it's like again it's just like oh he's the world war one flying ace coming to save the day you know and it was it was just great there was just so much to love about this from the bungee from you know poor gromit being sent to jail and you know all the headlines and it's just it was just great all of them on that conveyor belt running like they're on a treadmill and I don't know if anybody else watched this and their heart goes to the floor every single time you watch Wendelene say she doesn't like cheese. Oh, my heart dropped. It was like, Poor no. As, as great as this one is and as light and funny, man, there is some darkness in this one. This one really oh, yeah. is the first one that introduces like okay. some darkness where if you think about it, it's like, oh, God, like what? You know what's going on really with the sheep and everything is is really it's really dark. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, uh, but they managed to keep it light um, despite that, and uh, I, I think it works really well as well. I mean, look, it. You know, I like I said, my favorite's wrong trousers, but all of them I love. All of these uh, I love, and uh, and the next one uh, they take a you know they, I think because of uh, a fire. Um, well, because of, well, the fire um, was it, it. I think that was the warehouse. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if it affected a lot of new productions, but it certainly affected a lot of uh, uh, stuff that they had, like in storage. Um, and because uh, I know that uh, this is after Chicken Run, so Nick Parks, you know, takes a little break from Austin Gromis and does Chicken Run. Um, and uh, and I know that the uh, most of the models. Uh, the originals from Chicken Run were in that warehouse when it when it went up a blaze. So, so yeah, they lost a lot there. Um, but yeah, there's a bit of a break, and then you know, Chicken Run does okay, but DreamWorks wants they want Wallace and Gromit on the big screen. That's what they're that's what they're paying Ardman for. So they get it with Curse of the Were Rabbit in 2005, finally. And uh, this one's a big one. This one. This one's twice as long as any of their other shorts. Uh, their, you know, quote unquote shorts, their adventures. Um, I it doesn't feel bloated to me. I it, you know I just watched this this afternoon and I was like this it 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 feels fresh. It feels real. It feels good. Um, I didn't think there was any sort of like 
yeah, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it, actually. I thought, this is great. I don't know why I don't watch this one one more more often. But for some reason, this is the one that I don't watch as often. And maybe it's because I, in my head it's longer. I don't know. But uh, what are your feelings about the movie, Anthony? So I, I agree with you. It's not one I think about. And I think part of that is really because the fact it is feature length it almost feels like a little bit of a almost betrayal of the original concept of the three shorts, um, which for me, I and, and in all candor, I haven't seen it since, I want to say the mid to late 2000s. Um, but it doesn't quite fit in with the other four as well, just because it is so long. It has a lot more speaking characters. Mm-hmm. And for that, it just feels a bit, apart and there are elements i think of what i picked up at the time and i probably saw it when i was around 20 years old um of what what seemed to be studio interference i noticed a lot of the accents are a bit softened they're not quite as british as they could be um that's not to say i don't enjoy it i i do remember at the time i picked up on a lot of influences particularly from hammer horror in there that i really enjoyed because at that time i was being a huge Doctor Who fan, I took a side track from season 14 of Doctor Who into Hammer Horror and was really getting into Hammer in my late late uh, teens, early 20s. So I loved seeing those influences play out in the production. But yeah, it, it just doesn't quite sit with the rest for me overall. Yeah. Alan, what about you? Actually, pretty much the same. I haven't watched it in probably five or six years. Um, I, I think Anthony's right. It doesn't quite have the feel and the heart of the others. Um, I remember enjoying it while I watched it again with a, a lot of Hammer Horror influences, um, but I think it was toned down. Um, I'm trying to remember back, really. Um, yeah, it's not it's not one we pull off the DVD shelf. We've got it, but it's not one we pull off the DVD shelf and, and sit down and watch as a family anymore, but we'll rewatch the shorts over and over mm-hmm. and over again. So... Yeah, I, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a Wallace and Gromit adventure to me. Um, it felt a bit like a cash grab, a studio-driven <laughs> cash grab. Um, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't gel with it with the with the four short the four TV shorts for me. Mike, I have to agree with everybody, um, and I'm not trying to sell it short for Cornflake or anything, but I <laughs> watched it for the first time in over ten years. Um, over the weekend it held up it was good but like everyone's saying it was wonderful to see wallace and gromit in a full-length movie but it was like give me the shorts instead i'd rather watch those you know they had the heart and everything there were some brilliant stuff in the film don't get me wrong there's some very classic stuff but the shorts you know, made it made me laugh more. Made me go, I love these characters. You know, so. But, but you know, that's the I, truth. I will, I, I will say for Cornflake's benefit, if I may call you that, um, it's it's definitely worth seeing if you haven't seen it before, at least once. Uh, if you're a fan of the others, you know, it, oh, yeah, it, it's it's well worth a watch. That's but fair. Yeah, then I'll that. I'll wash it down with some creature comforts because <laughs> I am. A massive fan of Creature Comforts, discovered in in 2009 on the uh, Animal Planet channel, actually. And it was my favorite thing of 2009 out of everything in the whole wide world was when I saw wow. that. 
I I don't I yeah I don't doubt that I mean it made my year that that show is hysterical so I will get my were rabbit in and then I will go watch my creature conference. yeah I like I said I watched Curse of the Were Rabbit this afternoon and uh, I was like why don't I watch this more often this is really fun um, it almost feels like um, uh, you know what I, I will say it feels less like a Nick Park film and more like a Simon Pegg Edgar Wright movie. Like mm. it really feels like that to me. Like, um, and uh, I don't know how to phrase it any more than that. Um, but that does not say that it's bad. As Mike said, there's some really brilliant moments in it. Some great animation. It's still all done by hand uh, and still done by, I mean, it's a massive team that's doing this, of course. Um, and Nick Park has a co-director working with him uh, on this one, unlike the others. Uh, but I still think it's worth seeing. And then uh, the last short, at least the most recent one that they've done, uh, was Matter of Loaf and Death, which I can't believe I didn't see until just the past weekend. For some reason, wow. I thought I had watched this one and I was I was like, Looking down and I was looking at the list and I was going, what is that one? I can't either. I just blacked it out completely or I've never seen it. And while watching it uh, this time, I was like, or this, yeah, this weekend, I was like, I don't think I've ever seen this the whole thing anyway. And uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's back to the Hitchcockian, you know, uh, Nick Park meets Hitchcock kind of mentality. Um, we actually see some death in this one, which is really weird. Um, and again, right off the bat, no exactly. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Right off the batter. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's it can it goes to some dark places too, but it keeps it light, and it's it's really fun to watch as well. Um, Anthony, what do you got to say about Matter of Loaf and Death? You know, it's probably of, of the four shorts. Obviously, it's the newest one. It's been around for about thirteen-ish years, so it's it's the one I've seen the least. You know, I was in in university when this one came out, but I remember it really clearly. It came out in the UK on Christmas Day, and for my family at the time, I think it was two thousand eight, was a required piece of Christmas Day viewing along with Doctor Who. I thought it was really, really enjoyable and. Love the storyline, um, and it's definitely one I plan on revisiting a little more than the others for the foreseeable future, just so it catches up a little bit. But I love um, the concept of Wallace's love interest being actively uh, bad. I love the fact that Gromit kind of has a love interest in Fluffles, um, and I really enjoy the storyline. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I have a Puppy lot love. of very fond memories of watching it when it actually went out on broadcast. Anthony? Oh, sorry. Uh, Alan? Uh, I'm with you, Mike. I don't think I've actually seen it until this weekend. <laughs> it's weird how these things get by, get by you, right? The DV- well, the, D- the DVD set we have uh, has the three originals, doesn't it? Obviously, it doesn't have that one on it. Uh, and obviously, 2008, we were already here in the States. So it probably just completely flew by because it didn't get broadcast over here or wasn't available over here. So it wasn't until we... I don't know why we were lazy. We decided not to get the DVDs out to watch them this weekend. We watched them on streaming and there was a fourth one and we were like, where did that come from? Um, and it was delightful. As you say, it was, it was, it was fun. Um, I actually one of, one of the things that um, caught my attention and cracked me up in that one, going back to the references, I don't know if you noticed, but in the zoo shot, there was actually a wanted poster yep. of the penguin that said escaped <laughs> penguin. Ooh, um, maybe sequel. In the, 
Yeah, so uh, that cracked me up. But yeah, I thought it was it was great. Um, it, it, it had the heart. It, it really felt like a proper Wallace and Gromit outing, mm-hmm. unlike the movie. Um, and it was back to back to what we expected, I think. So, so that was a delight, delightful bonus of actually agreeing to come on the podcast and do the research over the weekend. Is we actually got to see a brand new well, Wallace and Gromit adventure. At least I'm brand glad new for we us. could help you with that. Anyway, uh, it wasn't a total loss. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Very quickly to Alan's point, I I feel like um, because it came out relatively shortly after the movie it almost feels like a bit of a course correct from nick park and argman as if to say yeah we're sorry that that wasn't quite the same vibe as the rest of it here's some more that actually feels like wallace and gromit oh completely so it felt like i almost forgot about the movie i thought oh this just came right after cliche you know Mm -hmm. it's uh, yeah it's uh yeah because it does feel like it's it was made before where rabbit but um no it was made afterwards so maybe you're right maybe it was uh yeah i mean there's the, if you watch the them together like the four together there's no indication of that that being a big right. gap between the third and the fourth it flows pretty seamlessly right you know? and i'm i'm with just about yeah. everybody else here on the panel tonight um i had i had no idea that a matter of loath and death existed until I was getting ready wow. for this, this panel. I, I didn't know about the Baker Light Girl. Uh, I gotta say, out of all the, the four of the shorts, this one's the most hardcore with somebody getting whacked right from the beginning. <laughs> it's like, oh, so, so that's what happens when you come into the 2000s with Wallace and Gromit. It gets, it gets a lot more gritty and dark, but I gotta say, to see <laughs> Gromit finally get uh, a love interest. It was long overdue. Uh, I just, I simply adored Fuffles. <laughs> Gritty and dark, unless you're a crocodile. Other than if you're a crocodile, it's a very good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Full of snacks. Exactly. It's snack time. Uh, well, I guess we can thank uh, doing this podcast and uh, Amazon Prime for introducing us to a 2008 <laughs> Lost Classic, right? <laughs> um so exactly. um, uh, just before we wrap it up now, there's like tons of sort of offshoot things that are sort of adjacent to Wallace and Gromit. There's, there's the Shaun the Sheep movies, TV series. There's the uh, video games. There's uh, uh, Timmy Time, which is uh, technically a spinoff. There's Wallace and Gromit's World of Invention, Cracking Contraptions. There's some uh, books, some sort of comics, uh, that kind of thing. Is there anything that you guys feel that's that sort of adjacent that is worthy of note, uh, worthy of, of people's time, or is, should they just stick to the core Nick Park productions? Uh, oh, Shaun the yeah. Sheep, definitely. Um, we love the show. My grandkids adore Shaun the Sheep, and actually so do we. I, the, my, the grandkids are just an excuse for us to watch <laughs> I, Shaun now, the Sheep. You're talking about the series, um, the movie, everything? The, 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 the series. Again, enjoyed the movies while we watched them. But the heart of Shaun the Sheep is those yeah. little shorts, um, is those two episode short, um, two shorts episode per episode things that are perfect just to sit down with the kids and enjoy and great characterization. Um, and again, just a, a, a tight cast. Um, very few people speaking, all done through facial expressions, body language. Um, yeah. I think that they are just classic. And that's a, there's a lot of them. There's 170 episodes of Sean the Sheep. That's that's really? amazing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. We've been Absolutely. working our way through them in our household. We love them. <laughs> 
And is there yeah. they're they're consistently good? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because my understanding yeah. is is that those are not Nick Parks at all. Those are just it's a completely different offshoot. He's listed as I think creator and producer, right? And that's about it, right? So, um, but uh, well, I will have to check. I am intrigued. I am intrigued, especially since um, uh, the Ardman, uh, and that's the other thing too. Ardman is, has made tons of other movies as well and uh sometime we'll probably talk about those uh but uh we wanted to really focus on wallace and gromit here so all right so rather than have you choose because i think we've all kind of said what our our favorites are as far as the the shorts um uh i i guess what do you think uh, going forward because there is a new wallace and gromit adventure that's available i think that made its debut uh this year in i think it was it 3d form i think it was um, um augmented reality i think it's a mobile yes. phone thing right. yes now uh obviously without you know the uh the the voice of of wallace uh peter salas uh, around anymore it's difficult to imagine it going forward but nick says he still has a lot of adventures in his head to tell um do you want to see more I guess is my question for you uh, going forward. And we'll start with uh, with you, Anthony. I would love to. I mean, I, I, you know, Peter Salas, yes, he was iconic as the voice of Wallace, but it wouldn't be the first time that an animated character has been recast. And if they can get someone who can mimic the accent and mi- mimic the inflections as long as Nick Park is doing it, I don't see why not. Uh, I don't think I would want to see another feature film. I think I'd like to see another short in the style of, of the four that we had. But yeah, I, I don't see any re- reason why not if the story is good enough. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Alan? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, actually, I'm just going to say, you know, just mention that my wife and I are rewatching Thunderbirds. Uh, you know, in uh, season two, they revoiced Virgil Tracy, uh, Thunderbird 2. It's a completely different voice actor, but it's close enough. It throws you for a little while, but you soon get used to it. Um, you know, we, we're used to people being uh, recast, revoiced. Um, I think as long as it is somebody who is a genuine northerner, um, you know, Peter Sykes was a Yorkshireman doing it, playing a, 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 a Lancashire character, but as long as it's somebody with a genuine northern accent um, and has that sort of character and can play that character, uh, yeah, I'd be up for it. I'd, I'd like to see another short. Um, and uh, I also believe they're also run, working on a Chicken Run Two movie oh, as well, wow. aren't they? That I mean, so that yes. would be fun yeah. as well. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a great one. We'll have to yeah, we'll have to review that one at some point too, because that's uh, that's in its own thing. It's really amazing as well. Um, Cornflake, what about you? More Wallace and Gromit? More Wallace and Gromit. Uh, echoing what Anthony and Alan have already said, if there can be somebody who can approximate the voice uh, that. Peter Salas did for Wallace. Uh, I'm a bit of a purist. I'd have a really hard time hearing somebody that doesn't sound like Wallace voicing Wallace. Just personal opinion. And uh, all the same, too, on it being a short as opposed to a movie. Uh, They say that I I think less is more uh, when it comes to the Wallace and Gromit shorts. And, And it's not to say that I don't appreciate what they go through to make a full length motion picture but uh i just i love the shorts and i love i love those blast scene characters so much and yeah i absolutely do want to see more if they can make it right 
Mike? What they said. I definitely would love to. And I'm not opposed to a different voice. You know, it's, you can't, you know, you eventually have to replace the actors just because they're aging out. Look at what, you know, they had to keep the Muppets going. Look, in Jim Henson passed away years ago. And still trying to get used to the new Kermit and <laughs> such, you know. So it's, you know, or the characters, you know, actors they have playing, you know, Pooh Bear or, you know, you know, Bugs Bunny or wherever, you know, and it's going to be the same thing with Wallace. And, you know, hopefully they'll be able to get someone who's fairly close and, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. I mean, as long as Nick says that he's got ideas, I'm, I'm keen to know what those are. So, as long as um, Nick is involved in the projects, yes. you know, yes, that's, that's my big thing. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, Cause otherwise, yeah, it does feel like, you know, they're just, you know, and I, I do, I do want to see them continue and no matter what, uh, you know, to go on, but yes, obviously it's, it's always better when you have the original creator involved. So yeah, more Wallace and Gromit. So um, that concludes our, our main topic. So thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, we're going to be right back with a creative outlet. Hey everybody, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. This this year marks the 30th anniversary of the release of Metallica's self-titled fifth album, aka the Black Album. And while some fans feel this is when they sold out, you can't deny that this was a watershed album, not just in music history, but for band history. This took them to stadium headliners. It went uh, number one, their first number one in 10 countries, did four weeks at number one in the United States took them on the MTV, so many singles. Uh, it's the best-selling album in the history of Nielsen SoundScan in every genre over the past 30 years. They're celebrating this anniversary with a re-release of the original album and a new tribute album called the Metallica Blacklist. The original album will come out remastered in 180-gram double vinyl album, a CD, and a three-CD expanded edition, digital version, and, of course, a box set with the vinyl and the CD and picture discs, 14 CDs with rough mixes and demos and interviews, six DVDs with videos and live shows and all kinds of footage, a hardcover book and trinkets, <laughs> laminates, lithographs, guitar picks, lanyards, lyric sheets, download cards. Now the blacklist is 53 tracks spun from the original 12. And they got artists from just every imaginable genre, from country, from hip-hop, from pop, to cover their favorite songs. And all the proceeds from this one uh, will go to the individual artists' uh, charity of choice and the uh, Metallica's All Within My Hands Foundation, which supports workplace education, uh, hunger initiatives, and local services. Uh, if you pre-order it, you instantly get Miley Cyrus's version of Nothing Else Matters, which also features Watt, Elton John, Yo-Yo Ma, Robert Trujillo, and Chad Smith, and uh, Juan Ace uh, doing Inner Sandman. Other al artists on this album include Jason Isbell, um, Amelda May, Weezer, My Morning Jacket, Dave Gann of Depeche Mode, Mickey Guyton, St. Vincent, and tons more. 
the release date for both of these is September 10th. You can get more information at Metallica.com. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. Check out the blog at IconicRockTalkShow.wordpress.com and at ESONetwork.com. We'll catch you next time. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello, everyone. Dr. Geek here with a shout-out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Hey there, Station One listeners, and welcome to the Creative Outlet segment. And we have a very special guest with us talking about his new Kickstarter project. Let's go find out where this person is. Hello, mystery caller. Are you there? Howdy! It's Mike Gordon! How about that? <laughs> hey, uh, this is uh, weird being here uh, in the creative spot. I didn't know... Uh, we, we really need to clean this area a little bit more, I think. Well, I, well we, we've had, you know, some really interesting people. I think it's still messed up from when JR was here, but it's okay. Yeah, well... Uh, that's, that's perfectly understandable. Um, but, uh, no, I'm very excited, uh, very excited to be in this spot and talking about, uh, something that I absolutely love to talk about, which is Tiki Zombie. Uh, Tiki Zombie is a, uh, pet project that I've had for 10 years now. Tiki Zombie is celebrating its 10th year anniversary this year. Uh, it's hard to believe that, uh, 10 years ago, Tiki Zombie issue one debuted at Heroes Con in charlotte north carolina and uh you know uh, the rest is history right um or it has been feels like ancient history because it's been a while since we've we've done a new issue or anything new uh, as far as uh music or anything like that so um and we had plans uh two years ago and things happened and then pandemic happened and yeah so there's been some delays which uh i take basically exactly So, but I'm, I'm happy to report that we're back on track. Uh, We're about halfway through the issue now. Uh, Peter is, is working on, uh, there's going to be, it's like the other issues. It's going to be two, two stories uh, written by me, drawn by Peter Cutler. And uh, there'll be a uh, two pager in between uh, written by me, drawn by Lewis Cox, uh, the third, Um, just like the others. Uh, Now, uh, if you've never read an issue of tiki zombie uh um shame on you no just kidding um it's fine uh these are not um sequential in the term in terms of you have to like start at the beginning um although if you want to uh the others are available we are uh for the new issue we are going to do something new uh we're going to do a kickstarter to allow people to pre-order the book um and uh that's going to start it should start if everything if the moons align correctly and all that the planets um it we should start on july 10th and it'll go through the end of the month at the end of july so um if if all goes really 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 well um and you know that's the best case scenario i might even have copies at dragon con but uh, we'll see about that um, because, like I said, we are still in production of it, but I feel really good about it. Um, one of the things that we're doing to celebrate the 10th anniversary, as well as just have some fun, 
with this new issue is to do variant covers. Um, it's something that I've kind of done before, but uh, this this time I'm really um, having uh, having a lot of bla- uh, fun with it. Um, Peter Cutler, uh, the artist of Tiki Zombie, the main artist, is contributing a wraparound 10th anniversary cover, and that's going to be the standard cover for all the uh, the editions. However, uh, we are going to introduce uh, at least three other variants. Um, one, and it, they have to do with the stories that are involved. Uh, so, for example, the first story has to do with uh, the Mugabali Grand Prix. It is a um, it's a fun, uh, wacky races type uh, race that happens on the island of Mugabale, um, featuring our characters as well as some uh, new characters. And uh, so, in order to do a cover for that, uh, the hot rod cover, I'm calling it. Uh, that one is going to be supplied by our good friend Jazz Ingram, aka Captain Love Handles. And uh, I've seen a rough draft of what he's got in mind, and it looks crazy. If you're into uh, Rat Fink, if you're into Weirdos, the models, if you're into that sort of hot rod uh, type uh, artwork, uh, this is right up your alley. It's uh, it's it's in the spirit of that. It looks like great fun. Um, and then the second story in the book is is the return of Miriana, the queen of the Myrmizons. And so we are uh, to get a cover for for that. I have uh, enlisted the aid of our good friend, artist Jen Brumall. Uh, she has really impressed me with the art that she's done uh, over the years for covers of a lot of different comics. Uh, mostly, uh, I think we've had her on the show and she's done covers for uh Zenoscope and, and other uh, independent publishers before she's got a new painted style that she's been working on uh, for the past year and a half uh and it's been really impressive to me and uh she's uh she's doing um some stuff uh, she's doing a cover for me for that so she's going to provide the mermaid cover that is awesome man i'm looking forward to it so you're hoping for july 10th for the start of the kickstarter Absolutely. Absolutely. We're starting and there's going to be some other news related to the other uh, guest cover artists, as well as some of the other specials that we're going to be offering. So, but bottom line is you can get the issue. Uh, You'll be able to pre-order that uh, starting hopefully July 10th doing Kickstarter. We'll have a link everywhere. Um, And, uh, and that'll be good to the end of the month. So, um, you know, check us out. And if you, um, whether you check us out or not, if you want to share it, I appreciate that. So we can get the word out and uh, celebrate this 10th anniversary in, in, in fan tiki-tastic style. Right. And go to the ESO Facebook page or tikizombie.com. I'm sure we'll there'll be links everywhere for this. And, yes. and we'll be talking about it, of course, in future episodes. We'll be checking back in with Mike to see how he's going with his goals. Absolutely. And hopefully all will be well. Yeah, do. Congratulations and looking forward to seeing number four. Thanks. I, it's like I said, it's been a long time coming and it's, uh, it's, I'm glad to, I'm glad for all the support we get. So thank you so much. No problem. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back with the closing of the show. Welcome to a Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela. And this week, this Geek Girl is talking about the show Ted Lasso on Apple TV. So at first, I wasn't really sure what I would think about the show Ted Lasso since it's about an American football coach going to England and coaching football there, which is a different sport for those of you that didn't really think about that. And not being a huge sports fan myself, I wasn't really sure how I would like this show. But holy cow, was I proven wrong. This show is incredibly funny. 
It has amazing characters, and the story just keeps getting better and better as the season goes along. Also, the actor who plays Giles in Buffy the Vampire Slayer is in it, and is in an absolute awful man in this show, and it's just amazing seeing him play such a different character. Ted is a football coach from Kansas whose team has won a ton. He travels to the UK with his co-coach and sets out to make the team in Richmond good again. With a lot of backlash and issues between players, fans, and even the owner of the team, who is secretly trying to sabotage the team to get back at her cheating ex-husband. The amount of character growth in one season and the way the story unfolds is so well done, and I cannot wait for the new season to air at the end of July. Even if you're not a fan of sports, you will enjoy this incredibly funny and heartfelt show, since it's about the characters, not necessarily the sport. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you'll have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank our guests for being here tonight. Cornflake, thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see you out of chicken town sometimes. I, it's nice to get out. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll let Kevin know that he needs to let you go sometime. You know, you know. Good luck with that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, we, you know, we had iced coffee, so it's okay. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's always a way for you to, you know, to make you happy. It's all, that's what it's all about. So it's okay. Well, anytime you, you want... uh, you have British comedy to discuss, I'm I'm in. I'm here. <laughs> oh, good to know. Anything you want to shout out about? Oh. Uh, shout out a, I have to pick something uh, I am or do you want to promote your podcast I will, I, you can find us at flopcast.net but I just want to do a general shout out for cheese I love the stuff for cheese <laughs> that's why we love you dear that's why we love you has anybody actually had Wednesday Day with cheese oh yeah yes oh yes. Is, it, is, it, is it everything that it's uh, cracked up to be it's good but it's not as good as Cheshire cheese <laughs> I like double Gloucester. Double Gloucester is good. Yeah, I'm getting so yeah, hungry but, listening but not... to this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to get you hungry there, but and Alan, thank you so much, my friend. Um, you are more than welcome. Always happy to talk about some good fun shows that I enjoy. I think I had the posting up that we were looking for people to join us for this episode. I think within 30 seconds, you were like, "Mike, I'd be glad to sit in with you." <laughs> yeah. And so it, it's just like you had you had me at Wallace. Exactly, I didn't even get to put out Gromit, so it's okay. No, no, that is awesome. Anything you want to promote, my friend? Uh, yeah, I'm in promotion mode for my new book, uh, the James Bond Lexicon and Encyclopedia of uh, the Fictional Worlds of James Bond, that came out in April. 
Um, if you want to know more about it, you can visit our companion website, jamesbondlexicon.online, which gives you links to all the great places you can buy it. Or And also the podcast, uh, the Honor Majesty's Secrets Podcast Network. You can find multiple shows there on various parts of the James Bond universe. So uh, That is awesome. If you, like, if, you, if you like 007, we got a lot of content. That is yes. awesome, dude. That Congratulations really awesome. on finally getting that book published. I gave a shout out about it uh, a few months ago, and it is a massive tome full of really great information. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. And Anthony, last but never least, my friend. And always a delight to be on Earth Station One. Thank you for having me again. No problem. Anything you want to shout out? As always, a uh, shout out for my podcast, Watchers in the Fourth Dimension, watching all of Doctor Who from 1963 till now. Uh, we are currently at the very end of the Patrick Troughton era, about to move into John Pertwee. Um, so if you're a Doctor Who fan, and I suspect there are a few out there listening to this, give us a listen. Oh, definitely. Well, it's going to take you at least a month to get through the final episode of The Second Doctor. So <laughs> it is a 10 part. Yeah. It is rather large. Yes. War Games, it's iconic, but it's just like long. <laughs> So, but that's awesome. I love what you guys are doing on the show. It's pretty awesome. Thank you so much. And Mr. Mike, we made it through another one, my friend. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you're going to shout out about, sir? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give a shout out. Uh, actually, uh, I, uh, my, myself and Michelle left the state for the first time in over a uh, year and a half. That's what those <laughs> alarms were. Okay. We, we, we traveled um, and uh, we went to Lexington, Kentucky. Lexington, Kentucky, and um, we just went uh, to um, one of the um, just outside of Lexington. We went to Ashford Stud at Coolmore, which is a uh, stud farm for uh, very, very expensive and quite famous racehorses. Uh, we got to see two, not one, two Triple Crown winners uh, posing for us. Uh, one of them was Justified, the other one was American Pharaoh, and uh, it was really amazing to see. Uh, both of those horses, as well as a, a few of the others that they had uh, on display there. And um, look, they're in, in, they take great care of them. And, uh, you know, the whole, the whole uh, horse breeding thing is uh, one of those things. that's just kind of like, it, it's weird to me. Uh, it's not, um, it's, yeah, it's something that's definitely more interest, uh, more of Michelle's thing is horse racing and the horses involved, but the, the, the beautiful, the beautifulness and the impressiveness of, uh, the two horses that I saw that uh, won the Triple Crown were just absolutely astounding. Um, when you see them in person, it's just, it's it's like it's just kind of like there's a it's it triggers your emotions really, and um, it was just pretty amazing to see them and uh, they're in good care and they give great tours. So if uh, you're ever in the area, uh, I definitely recommend uh, setting one up because uh, it's great fun. It only takes a bit of an hour. Now we were in the hot Kentucky sun. And uh, I did get some 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 tan out of it, um, actually burn. Um, but uh, um, so, yeah, it was it was quite the ordeal, but it was worth it. And uh, and it's not as expensive. Uh, certainly we I, I thought it was going to be really expensive to go there and tour the, see these horses, especially at the rates that they. Um, well, let's just say their breeding rates are way outside of my price range. But um, just to see them for a little bit of time for five or ten minutes is 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 not so bad. So I would recommend doing it. Excellent. Excellent. I'm glad you enjoyed your trip, sir. I know Absolutely. it's been a long time since you've been on the road. So That was kind of nice, too, just to get away for a little while. It just it was, whew, man, it was a long time coming. 
Awesome. All right. Uh, my shout out real quick is going out to a new show that Judy and I watched. We're you know finally catching up on most of the shows that are out there and everything. We just watched this mini series that was on HBO and stars Kate Winslet. It's called The Mayor of East Town, and it is an amazing murder mystery. And Kate Winslet is fantastic as she most of the time always is. And it it'll keep you guessing pretty much till the final episode. I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not even gonna talk about the case or such, but you know, she does a pretty damn amazing American accent. So, you know, I'm I'm very impressed. And check it out. It's you know, if you you're into mysteries, uh, you know, grittiness and, you know, type of like who done it but you know and the whole town is the a suspect because everyone seems like they're related in this town it's kind of weird that way but you know it is eastern pennsylvania so it t- makes total sense oh for a minute there i thought you were describing a new wallace and gromit short oh of course i was they're all related <laughs> too but that's a whole different story but yes it was a lot of fun so definitely please check it out join us again next week and we are going to be looking at some of our favorite tv show pilots you know, we thought it would be kind of fun to talk about. And, you know, there's ones that TV pilots that don't even look like the rest of the series. They, you know, the pilots were put out there and they recast or they changed. And it's it's really neat to talk about. And we have a great crew to talk all about that. And definitely would look forward to talking to everybody about that. But until then, of course, we'd love to hear from you guys. Please write us at feedback at Earth Station One. It's always great to, you know, find out what you guys thought about this episode. We want to hear your Wallace and Gromis stories. There's tons of them, I'm sure. Or, you know, how many of you guys have a stuffed, you know, sheep at home, you know, wearing a sweater. So it's, you know, it's pretty cool. But thanks for listening to the Air Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you can find Air Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, Cornflake, Anthony Williams, and Alan J. Porter, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Please be safe. Please get vaccinated so we can see you guys. And we will see you here next time on the Earth Station One Podcast. Peace. And we are done. Boom. You've been listening to the Earth Station One Podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com.
ESOnetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.